Hey guys, before this episode begins, I just want to let you all know that I partnered with DAT Bootcamp to offer a 10% discount code on all bootcamp products. While studying for my DAT, I found DAT Bootcamp to be the best resource during my preparation. Their extensive review videos and practice exams are second to none. Use code DOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount, applicable to all programs Bootcamp has to offer. Again, that's DOD10 at checkout. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dose of Dental podcast. The focus of this podcast is to share undergraduate and dental school experiences from dental students and dental professionals through valuable discussions. Through sharing the journeys and stories of current dental students and dental professionals, our goal is to help you find answers or guidance for your own pre-dental journeys. We have a very special guest today who is a D4 from Michigan School of Dental Medicine. Well, we got Haley Schultz. She's uh, also a fellow podcaster and she's currently in that transition period from D3 to D4 year. And in about a year, she'll be graduating. May 2024. We're, it's in our sights. We're excited. <laughs> D4. So, I mean, what are you feeling right now? You're like, just finished D3 year. So you've been in clinic a lot. I've, I've seen on Instagram posts. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what this year has been, what it's meant to you and what you kind of like, got from it, I guess. Yeah, there's some major takeaways from D3 year that I just never knew or no one really talked about. One of the first things is how it's so different than preclinic in the sense that you have no control over what is happening to your clinical experience anymore. It's based on luck of draw, which patients you get assigned, if they show up, what kind of treatments they need, which is often dictated by their insurance, their personal life, their financial status. There's so many other factors affecting your ability to improve your clinical skills now versus in SimLab, you show up, you grind till you feel like you got it. But now, especially third year, things can be kind of slow at our school to get going, especially like this semester last year. I felt like I was frustrated. I only finished that semester with one restoration the whole time, but now I've done a ton and it all balanced out in the end. So you have to be really proactive as much as you can and trying to get new patients and trying to take on patients from mentor fourth years when you're a third year and just doing anything that you can to get that clinical experience. But that was the most frustrating element of third year was realizing that every single time you're showing up to do something, it's new and that's always scary and always challenging and always comes with problems most of the time. And you just have no control over it because you might not get a super bombed out number 15 ever again in dental school, or maybe you're going to get it eight months from now. So you don't have a chance to actually practice the skill that you struggle with once you have a challenging day in clinic. So that's the biggest thing that I felt like was hard to wrap my head around. But being on the other end of it now, I do really think it all somehow works out. Right. I mean, so I've got to jump in the gun here, but like, I know a lot of schools assign patients to, to their students. How does it work at Michigan? Yep. We're assigned a patient pool when you start clinic. It's usually about 20, 25 people. And as a rising D3, you're taking patients from the D4 that just graduated. So like a D5 in your mind, and you would be getting most of their basic stable patients or simple restorative. And then their more complex patients go to the rising D4. So someone that's starting their fourth year. And that's how they kind of disperse patients. And now that I'm in my fourth year, I have about 50 patients that I manage. And a lot of them are on maintenance and they're just exams and working with our hygiene students. 
So it's not too much on my plate, but they slowly kind of build up your patient portfolio as you submit in requests. You basically tell the school what you need and a certain person in administrative filters through all the new patients and tries to assign them based on, oh, I need more crowns. I need complete dentures. I need any new patient. And then within a few days, in theory, your request should be filled and you should have a new patient to work on. That sounds good. So, I mean, let's rewind a little bit, right? So, uh, yeah. why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, like where you're from, where you like to do fun? Yeah. So, I've always lived in Michigan. I'm in dental school here in Ann Arbor now. And I went to undergrad at Michigan State University, which is in East Lansing. And then I grew up in the Detroit area. So, I've always kind of been in the southern half of the state of Michigan. And likely I'm going to end up staying here. I want to do general dentistry. I'm considering other places in the Midwest, but definitely love living in Michigan. I think it's a great state. And in terms of what I like to do for fun, I literally just got back from a workout class. So I think keeping active in dental school is really important and also like the highlight of each of my days. So I really look forward to when I get to go to workout classes as well as my podcast and YouTube keep me busy. And I'm really involved in student organizations at my dental school. I think for people that want to go into general dentistry, that's really key is to build on the basics of the dental school curriculum and add in different things that make sense for what you want to do as a career because dental school is only teaching you the bare bones basics to be a safe learner when you graduate. You don't know anything about business. You don't know anything about working in a team, potentially being an owner, any advanced procedures really. So there's a lot to learn in addition to the curriculum. Sounds good. So, I mean, so why dentistry? <laughs> I got to ask. Yeah. Yeah. My answer always incorporates a few different key things that I really am passionate about. So one thing being teaching for me, I always loved mentoring and teaching, whether it was children or people a few grades below me. So I love that element of dentistry, that there's an educational element. And then that also flows into the other thing that I love is the relationship with patients which is more reason I want to be a general dentist. And the hands-on work itself, as cliche as it sounds, I really do love restorative dentistry. I think it's super satisfying to have patients with a problem, bring them in and treat them. Pretty much everything general dentistry can be done in one day that you can fix a patient's aesthetic concern or pain. And it's really satisfying. You don't have to wait a long time like orthodontics or something to actually get an outcome for patients. And I'm, I wanted to ask you this. So, I mean, I know that, you know, specializing now, um, a lot of general dentists, I work in an office, a lot of general dentists that work in my office are now doing more surgery intensive procedures and they're getting a lot of, a lot more, it, it almost looks like they're world surgeons at this point. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, you're, you're interested in general dentistry. Are you interested in, do you consider maybe doing a lot of consumer education courses after you graduate in residency rather than specializing? Or it was like, what's your thought process on? You know, general dentists getting increasingly more involved in surgery, even though they're not, I guess, oral surgeons at that point. Yeah. So for people that don't know, oral surgery and periodontics are usually the main ones doing surgical procedures and implants traditionally. But now, as you're saying, general dentists are way breaking into the surgery realm of things. And for me, going into dental school, I really had no interest in surgery or implants. I thought it seemed too scary, intimidating, too many risks. But as I've gone through school and learned more about it, I've learned how much more predictable it is these days with the advanced imaging and surgical guides that you can pick cases that are simple and can be done by general dentists for sure. 
So that's something that I'm actually having like an internal debate about now as I'm in the process of looking for jobs. Of Do I want to try to be that super GP and be amazing at everything? Or do I want to take it one step at a time and say, okay, implants for the next two years, that's my thing I'm going to work on or cosmetics or whatever it may be. Because it's really easy for new grads to be so excited and want to start molar endo and implants and complex extractions and advanced cosmetics, but you can't be great at everything right away. So it really makes sense to take one advanced thing at a time. So that is what I plan to do. Like you're saying, CE, I just need to figure out which area I want to start in. And I think it's also going to depend where I work because I'm looking at one office that's completely cosmetic and I wouldn't be doing any of those other type of procedures. And then there's other offices where I'd get to pick and choose all different kinds of things. So it's a lot to consider when you're getting closer to graduation. Yeah, I think you might get a, like you might. Do you think you might get like a better understanding of what you know like goes into that decision? Like you're still not even started D four year. So I guess when you start D four, you'll get like a better understanding as the year goes on. Maybe. Yeah, I've. I think just through the job search process, it's giving me time to figure out what I want to do. Having visited a few offices already, and it even though we're only two months into D four, it feels like this first semester is almost over because I'm gone pretty much all of July on external rotations that our school does. So you're at another clinic, a federally qualified health center, and you're seeing patients all day, way, way, way busier than you are at school. So I feel like my semester is almost over because I have barely any more time in the school clinic. But I, yeah, it's something you have to just be really self-reflective on, like even figuring out, did you want to become a dentist? Took a lot of self-reflection. Figuring out if you wanted to specialize or not took a lot of self-reflection. And then if you did decide on general dentistry, which is where I'm at, figuring out what I want to do. But it's also you can graduate and work and I could go to that cosmetic practice and then be there a couple years, get great at cosmetics and say, okay, now I'm ready for something else. And I think it's very realistic to look at your career as stepping stones and eventually you can add on more and change things up. That's I think what most people, including myself, love about general dentistry is you can take it, do something for a little bit. And when you're not excited about showing up to work every day, you can start doing a different set of procedures or you can even leave clinical dentistry altogether or only do clinical part time. Like there's so many different ways to work with a dental degree. And that's something I've realized through my podcast too, bringing on different people in the industry. And yeah, in, in our work, we have a, a dentist who went to Stonyberg Dental, but he is kind of stepping away and he's doing like orthodontics residency now. So he's been working at our office for probably like six or seven years, maybe, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how long he's been there, but he's been there for a while and kind of just leaving and doing this other thing in I think like North Carolina or Georgia or somewhere like that. And it just kind of like showed me like, learning and like figure out what you want to do doesn't ever end even after you graduate so i think you know for you that's like something that you're probably pretty excited about just kind of getting into that um so let's let's go back again <laughs> so can you just run us through your undergrad you know just some kind of yeah. activities that made you stand out on your application and kind of like where you considered applying and you know how it all kind of came together for you yeah so my pre-dental path was pretty generic by the book, I would say. I had a lot of good mentorship through joining my pre-dental club right away freshman year of undergrad. So I kind of knew what the cookie cutter path was. And fortunately, that did work out for me. So what that looked like was taking the DAT once after my sophomore year. So I just finished Orgo 1 and 2 and Bio 1 and 2. And then I had to self-teach some of those more advanced science subjects in Bio 
through DAT bootcamp. And then I used all of my junior year to get more involvement in student organizations in terms of leadership and keep doing a lot of volunteering and working on my application itself. Then I applied that summer after junior year between senior year. I went on a study abroad that summer to Australia and New Zealand, which was really cool. And I was able to submit my applications before I left, do some of my secondaries from abroad, and then start interviewing right when I got back in August. That's when I had my first interview at Detroit Mercy. And then I had my interview at Michigan in September. And then I had two more interviews, um, Ohio State and Pitt and Tufts were the five schools that interviewed me. And then I was accepted to four and waitlisted at Pittsburgh. So again, my cycle was pretty solid, nothing too crazy. I think I applied to 12 schools. Looking back, I always tell people I wish I applied to less and was less overly ambitious and just applying too much with my heart, less with my head in the sense of applying to University of North Carolina where they don't take a lot of out-of-state students. Or I applied to certain schools that were below my stats, thinking it would be like an undergrad application where you get accepted to those safety schools. But from my tiny pool of handful of people that I know, everyone that did that did not get interviews at those schools that would be safety schools, you would think, because they know that the students are going to go elsewhere where their stats align. So that's something that can save you money, too. I thought that you would just get an interview there and get accepted, but it doesn't seem that that's the case. It's obviously not a hard fact, but that's something I wish someone talked to me about because I could have taken probably three schools off my list, and that definitely adds up in terms of saving money. Um, I can talk a little bit about volunteering and extracurriculars, too, just the things that were interesting, at least. I think doing consistent volunteering throughout undergrad is a big thing. Doing here and there, an hour here, an hour there, an hour there at all these different places doesn't mean anything and looks sloppy on your application. I did a mentoring with elementary students. It was the same student every single week for an entire school year. And then the next school year, I'd get another student. And one of the years, I actually did two sessions per week. So it was a lot of hours accumulated across the four years of school. And then I did some food banks through student organizations and a medical service trip to the Dominican Republic. Those were kind of the bulk of my hours. And in terms of what was my big standout thing, I would honestly say it was my leadership in student organizations. I took a pre-health fraternity or honor society at my school that was dying that didn't even have enough people to have an e-board and made it into a huge organization and something that was really sought after to be a member in and rose up in the ranks of e-board of that I was eventually president I was involved in our pre-dental club and again it's that consistency same as I'm saying with volunteering joining an organization early in undergrad sticking with it through graduation trying to get leadership sophomore junior senior year whenever it works out and I think that's the biggest thing for me was just all that consistency and how much time I was spending into growing something and that there were actually tangible outputs to that. Yeah, I think a lot of people, this could even apply to like shadow requirements. I know now shadowing isn't like super, I don't, I don't know if it's really recommend, like required at all schools in terms of like 100 hours, you need 100 hours. But, um, you know, I feel like some people uh, will probably just go shadow uh, or, you know, They'll probably just shadow at like one place for a couple hours. Um, 
But I think you know, schools might want to see you shadow like multiple times at one place or even and end up working at the office. Because that just shows like dedication, right? Because I know a lot of people, even at my own office, we have some people that come in the shadow and, you know, maybe I'll find their Dunkin' Donuts across the corner. <laughs> like they're not locked in to, to the experience. And I mean, that's not like schools don't know that, but you're kind of cheating yourself in that opportunity. And um, like you said, I think I think the volunteering hours, like it, people just try to check off a box. Um, but it sounds like you, you made it something very meaningful to you. And Ellen schools probably just saw that like, wow, she really can connect with these kids. And that's like kind of like patient interaction skill itself. So probably helps you in the future. I mean, so how did you tackle, um, you know, writing the personal statement? I know that's like a really big thing that people struggle mightily with only because there's only so many different kinds of like, it's easy to make a generic. So how do you kind of stick it out, um, stick out um, in your personal statement? I feel like maybe not everyone and maybe this is just my personality, but a lot of us probably look at our personal statement and be like, oh, yeah, like that was great. And I'm probably one of those people, even though it's not all that amazing, but I was pretty proud of how it turned out for getting people's attention. I had my introductory paragraph, more storytelling and kind of making you wonder, wait, what exactly is she talking about? So that's what I use my little few sentences of an intro for. And my initial brainstorming of what was going to be the content and the overarching theme, I had a Google Doc and I just kind of wrote down my major experiences that contributed to wanting to be a dentist or gave me skills that would make me a good dentist. And then I tried to find like an overarching theme, whether it is like engineering or sculpting or for me, mine, I think it was like solving puzzles is kind of how I phrased it. So then taking the experiences that you have and trying to find a way to get them to fit back into that little theme that you decide you want is kind of how I went about it. And in terms of all the content, all the verbiage, I was applying to some kind of pre-dental day at a dental school and they basically asked you that prompt. And it was like 2 a.m. I was on my phone writing it and I just like word vomited why do I want to be a dentist and then save that. And that was my first draft of my personal statement just out of necessity to apply to that program as quickly as possible to hopefully get a seat. So that was my first draft and went through it several times, like I said, of trying to find how I can make it have a nice theme and be a good piece of writing while still getting across my personal experiences. And I sent it to a few dental students that I looked up to as well as a couple family members someone that's more of like a language arts instructor who really doesn't know anything about dentistry and then also went to the writing center at my undergrad university to have them critique it as well. So I got a lot of different feedback. I took most of the advice, some of the advice I didn't. It's easy to get really attached to your writing. As I'm saying, we all think it's the best thing ever. And then you get a lot of critiques or they say, even when I'm reading people's personal statements, I'll highlight, I'll be like, yeah, let's take these six sentences out. And you're like, no, no. <laughs> So it's hard to not get attached to your writing, but especially people that have read a lot of personal statements, I would take their critiques to heart and try to listen to them. And this is just a random technical thing, but every time you make edits, save it as a new document. That way you can go back and have your first one and say, you know, actually, I like the way I had this written six drafts ago and then put it into your new one and send that to get reviewed or something. Don't ever lose like each copy as you go. So I have personal statement one through seven personally like saved in my computer still. 
So those are some of the different tips that I have. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see that I tell people to delete six sentences is they're talking about Dr. X. Dr. X is so great with his patients. Dr. X makes his patients feel so comfortable with their dental anxiety. Dr. X is so intelligent. Dr. X goes on these service trips and I got to hear about him talk about them. Like it's not a personal statement about Dr. X. It is about you. And it's I know our exposure into dentistry is through assisting, through shadowing. So that's your opinion and view of a dentist. But you need to talk about yourself and your experiences. And if you think it's great how Dr. X is empathetic, what experiences have you done that show that you're empathetic? Have you been a tutor for a classmate? Have you worked with like team sports? Have you done anything that shows that you have those skills? Because that's what you should put in there. Less stuff about this dentist that you look up to, more about how you have the qualities that will make you a good dentist. Right. And it's funny you mentioned the, the multiple copies thing, like my computer. So for context, I applied, uh, I finished applying June 5th, so I submitted all my stuff out June 5th, so I'm like done with that stuff. But um, like when I was running my personal thing over the winter break, actually, um, I had like maybe six or seven different documents. And like within those documents, I had like six or seven different versions. Because I, I had like five or six people like look at my stuff and like kind of go over it with me. So like I wouldn't merge all the copies together. I just kind of keep it separate. Um, but yeah, like what you mentioned for the personal statement, um, I did talk about Dennis in mind, but like a sentence, I mentioned her name, you know? Yeah. Which is normal. Like I have the same thing, but that was critique I got as well at that time that you need to not have a whole paragraph about how great this dentist is. Exactly. I mean, you could have it, the person's name, the dentist's name in there, but like right about what you saw and how that affected you and how you kind of carry that into, you know, if you shadowed somebody, how do you carry that into maybe when you got an assisting job? How'd you kind of put those same practices into what, into your own patients, right? Um, as an assistant, you could do something like that. Um, but yeah, I think the personal statement, it's, it's really, you just gotta have like a, a short leash, not a short leash. I don't know how you, say, how you call it, like an adjustable leash. You should be able to like, let go of things and keep it and like add things as much as you want. Um, depending on what other people say and like what, just keep it open mind, I guess is the best way to go about it. Um, so you got your personal statement down, your DAT, and your 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 extra quote is looking really good. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the interview process. Like, what, how was that like, and um, how'd you end up choosing Michigan, and what kind of drew you into Michigan itself? Again, I'm so cookie cutter, but Michigan was my dream school before I went into the application process because it's a public, like state funded, so it's less cost compared to my other school in state is private, Detroit Mercy. And that's almost 100K per year. Michigan is about 60 for me, like all things costs considered. So it was the most affordable option. I really loved Ohio State and I really loved Tufts and I was accepted there and I genuinely was considering them. But at the end of the day, for me, the biggest decision factor is finances. And if I have 150K plus less of tuition without interest, that's so much money that I can put towards CE when I graduate, even if. I liked a certain element of a program better. It's not worth that much money to me personally because there's so many other ways to get that education or experience either through CE or through different involvements that you can do. So that's a lot of the reason I chose Michigan, but there's a lot of great things about the program too. I'll talk about the interviews though first. So I was pre-COVID, so I had normal interviews in person, fly out to the school, drive out to the school, get a hotel interview, and usually the day 
included a school tour, student panel, lunch, and your interviews. And you can just Google beforehand what format your interview is going to be. So you want to know if it's open or closed file. So does the interviewer know who you are? Do Have they read your application? Or are they just meeting you as a surprise face? Like at Michigan, you're just a person showing up. They know nothing about you at the point of the interview. But then at other schools like Tufts, my whole application was highlighted, annotated. They had sticky notes. So, like, so tell me more about this. So it's something to know what you're getting yourself into and then also how many people are interviewing you. At Detroit Mercy, it was two interviewers talking to me. And at other places, it's one-on-one. Some of them, it's a student interviewing you or a resident or faculty. Some of it, it's alumni dentists. So there's all kind of different experiences you can have. So if you know what you're going into, that can make you a lot more prepared. Michigan has a unique format. I don't know if people are familiar. It's the multiple mini interviews. Ohio State does a similar format. So basically, you have interview stations, and you're going to get asked some kind of prompt. It can be anything from typical interview questions, dental-related questions, to ethical random scenarios that they want to pick your brain at. So you just really got to be prepared and do your research ahead of time. I practiced with a friend from pre-dental club, and we kind of shot questions at each other that we found online, and that made me feel a little more comfortable. But I think working on your communication skills and confidence in general is huge before interviews, and that's something you want to work on throughout undergrad, like get a job, get some kind of leadership position where you're presenting, where you're talking to people often, especially people of authority or adults in quotes always freaked me out when I was 17, 18, but now I'm a lot more comfortable with it. But those are skills you want to work on throughout undergrad so that when the interviews come, you're not so nervous. And, and so how did your Michigan interview go? You said it was like groups, like group things. Like how did that kind of go? Yeah. So they have this whole thing where we can't talk specifically about it. it oh, it's okay. You have to like sign a waiver. But basically, all we can say is it's multiple mini interviews and there's stations. You have X amount of time at each station. Now, Michigan is virtual interview process still. And I think they intend to keep that for the foreseeable future. And then if you're accepted, you're invited for a campus visit and tour and student panel and all that kind of stuff. But they don't bring everyone that's interviewing to the school anymore. But basically, you get a question, you have X amount of time to think about your answer, and then you have X amount of time to answer the question. And I would just take your time, really think through things, look at the whole prompt. Sometimes it can be long. Think about each element of the prompt and how you can address the question in full. And you can use this experience, again, since it's closed file, for bringing up stuff about yourself that would be memorable, like, oh, in my sociology class, we learned a lot about this situation going on in the world. And I'm in that program through my university's residential science college, which has been really enlightening because this and that. And this is my stance on the issue and the question. And on the topic of taking a stance, I think it's important to be firm in what you're saying. And they might give you pushback. They might even be playing kind of like a character, the interviewer, and they might be kind of aggressive or they might be really questioning you. And it's important to show that you can be calm, cool, collected and stick to what you're saying, but also be open minded. So I say don't change your stance once you've come up with it. You can say something like, 
I still believe this about the issue. However, I could see why someone would see this because of this reason. But because of these other reasons, I still believe this. And I think that's a really logical way to present your case while also showing that you can see other people's point of view, but that you're a confident person and you're not going to back down when, let's say, like an angry patient gets in your face. Right. And I think that's like a really unique interview uh, style, I guess. I mean, I guess that's something you have to like really think about before you can get into the room. Um, but so you you got the Michigan interview. Apparently you got it. <laughs> so like. What were you thinking going into your D1 year? What were you expecting and what did you kind of get out of it once you finished? Kind of go through like maybe like a day in life of your D1 year. You like what kind of classes you guys took? Like, is it like an integrated program with med school? Like, how does it kind of work? Yes. Yeah, so Michigan is separate from our med school. Our dental school is. And we start earlier than most dental schools. Our D1s are having their orientation right now this middle of June. And they have a half summer term, so mid-June until middle of August is finals, and they take 10 credits. So we have dental anatomy, had neck anatomy, I think a basic biomaterials, some other introductory to the dental profession type classes, histology. And it's only about 10 credits, but it's pretty rigorous still because you're doing 10 credits in a short amount of time. But then you start fall semester like when most dental schools are starting and then you jump into almost 28 credits fall semester and winter semester so you're super super busy you're taking a lot of complex kind of introductory level courses you're eventually getting into your systems of the body respiratory nervous system musculoskeletal system all those things that you're wondering why does this matter i'm going to be a dentist pharmacology that one you can actually see how it relates to dentistry but it's a lot of stuff that can be frustrating and hard to learn when you were hoping you would be focusing on dentistry and you're balancing having heavy didactic work with working in sim lab for the first time and learning how to drill preps and do fillings. For us, first year is cavity preps and fills with both amalgam and composite as well as temporary materials and then second year is when you do crowns bridges complete dentures partial dentures so all of our first year is direct restorations yeah so um you know talk a little bit about d1 year and d2 you kind of get more clinical um my question is like what is that first feeling like practicing on a mannequin or actually using your hand skills um in dental school i it's hard to even think back to how early and difficult things were just to do a basic occlusal prep because I can look back at that now and say I can't believe of all the practicals I could have failed I failed the first one the easiest one but you just are learning and everyone has a different learning curve my opinion and advice is don't be timid they're plastic fake teeth You can rush through them and try to get faster, try to correct mistakes, and it's not a big deal because they are mannequin teeth. You can just buy more. It's a couple dollars if need be. I never even ran out, and I felt like I practiced a ton. I didn't ever have to buy extra. And taking your rubric sheet of what you need to do for a different prep or restoration and taking it one by one. So do the prep the best you think you can. 
look at the rubric, everything that you did wrong and say, okay, this time I'm going to work on a smooth floor. And next time my floor better be smooth. If other things get messed up in the process, okay, but now I know how to do a smooth floor. Next time, okay, now I need to make sure my walls have the right angulation. Focus on that. Double check, is my floor still smooth? Next prep, focus on adding things each time. And for me, that really helped. And when it comes to restoring, I feel like that's more where people have kind of technical problems. Once you get a prep down, it's pretty easy to do it correctly every time. But restoring can be a lot more technique sensitive and a little bit more unpredictable. So for that, I would say trying a lot of different techniques and different advice from different faculty or classmates and seeing what you like and what combination of techniques you like to get the best outcome is also important. Right. And did you like have any major obstacles like that you remember um, while you were in like SimLab or doing these kind of preparations? And like how did Michigan's, I guess, how was Michigan's like faculty and how are the resources really helpful in overcoming that stuff? Yeah, we have really solid faculty, I would say. And one of the things that I really like is what I do now as a fourth year and third year is I'm a pre-clinic mentor. So every Tuesday night, they have a help session with student guides that were selected by faculty that did a good job in SimLab, selected to go back and basically mentor and coach. And we get to help students after hours as well. We have 24-7 access to SimLab. You can go in in the middle of the night. If you're a night owl, you can go in early morning before class starts and practice as much as you need. And I found that faculty will be really helpful. You have physical models you can go and look at. You have pictures. You have digital models. You have everything kind of at your fingertips and tons of people to help you that it seems like everyone gets it down pretty well through one way or another of resources you also have videos you can watch like everything you could think of we have access to and like how is like michigan's like facilities i've never seen it so like are they are they like is it how what's like the vibe of the school that you got when you first got in there yeah we just finished a 110 million dollar renovation so our clinics are really nice sim lab is about 2010s that it was renovated so it's not as beautiful but our clinics and a lot of our study spaces are really, really nice. Our lecture halls are a little not so cute, but pretty much everything um, is pretty updated and nice and a good environment, I would say. SimLab at least has some windows in the back, so it's not like a basement, super dark and depressing. Um, it's pretty bright and open, and I feel like you have a decent amount of workspace. And in the lab, they have a chair for every single student. And then it's shared with a class either above or below you. So there's a D1 and a D2 at each bench and you have keys to get to your drawers and you're in there alternating times for whenever you're assigned to be practicing and having your instructors there. But I would say overall the vibe is pretty, pretty good. I think each class has a different kind of, again, to say lack of better word, vibe. And some classes are a little bit more friendly and social some are a little bit more competitive and I think it just really depends on who you choose to surround yourself with in your class if you even hang out with dental students outside of school a lot of different things can kind of affect your mentality when you're in the dental building and for friends that are older might be married might have families they have a very different dental school experience than the people that came right from undergrad and are still in a super going out, social, nightlife kind of stage of their life. 
And I feel like we have a little bit of everything and people can find different people that they connect with at the school for whatever their interests or hobbies or life stage is. Right. And I mean, like, I think that's a really important part of like a dental school. I actually visited UConn today because um, I was up there with the family and I like really loved the vibe of the school. It was kind of nice to see the school, um, I guess, like without any students in it because I think they're off for the month. So it was just me and like one of my friends just like showed me around, just walking through the empty halls, and it kind of just like vibe like if you're there late night, this is kind of like what you're going to see. Like that's when you really like the school. So I think you know for all the pre dentals out there, I guess trying to visit the school before it doesn't matter why. Like after you apply, before you apply, try to visit out. I, I know a lot of dentists are willing to like get tours, mm-hmm. um, so like just try to go visit the school if it's near you. Um, it's really big. And- part of your like admissions process um so can you talk a little bit about like that transition between d1 and d2 year and also the transition between d2 and d3 year like i know well, when do you guys like start seeing patients at michigan so the new answer for people incoming is that you'll see patients at the end of d2 year for us we saw them at the start of d3 year so just really a semester difference but that's because we were kind of the coming off of COVID situation. But between D1 to D2 year is the best time because you've gotten through D1 and all the boring classes and now you're starting D2. You still have a lot of classes, but they're dental classes. It's ortho, it's endo, it's pediatrics, it's advanced perio, it's implants. It's all this exciting stuff that that's least dentistry. And I found that to be very rejuvenating and made me excited about school again. Even though you're studying, at least it's relevant and interesting. And then you can go up into clinic and assist and maybe see that happening. And it makes it so much more real and easier to remember what's happening in lecture when you get to go see it in practice. We start assisting really early in dental school. First semester, first year, you're up there with patients as an assistant. And starting the end of D2 year, you can do simple fillings mentored by an upperclassman and also do exams and profies is what the plan is. We didn't get that, but that's what they're doing now for all the rising classes behind me. And other than that, D2, again, your hand skills are so much more confident. I think crown preps are a lot easier than caries removal and restoring. So it seems that most people do a lot better in lab second year as well because people seem to like crown preps better and you're better at drilling and you just have better hand skills. And it's not that you're less busy or that anything's easier per se. You're just a lot better at handling it. First year, you have an exam every other week or something like that. Even if that's happening second year, you're not really phased by it. You have your flow. You have your confidence. You have your people. You know where you like to study. You know how you like to study. And you just kind of grind through the year and try to make the most of things. And I think it can be a really great time. I definitely love D2 year. And then you're coming up towards the end and getting ready for patients and I talked to you a little bit about the transition into clinic already at the start of the episode, so I don't want to repeat all of that, but it can be kind of slow and discouraging at first, but it does all find a way to work itself out. I don't know if we talked about this part, like what did it feel like seeing your first patient? And do you remember like what it was? Yeah, I by force, but also by choice, had a lot of exams and profies. And like I said, I only did one restoration in the summer and I did one cross case that was a little confusing in the summer too for a denture but basically everything was exams and profies which made me really competent at advanced treatment planning they weren't simple exams there were people with 
basically every tooth needed some kind of treatment. And it was a good experience to work through complex treatment planning and get really good at the computer system that the school uses and get really quick and efficient at that. And it gave me some good foundational skills to move into the next semesters where I actually had more operative work to do. I mean, so then like fr- from what, from, do you guys have like the last, I know some schools, um, D4 is all clinic. So like, do you guys have the part where it's like the last exam and then now you guys just have like clinicals after that? So we only have two classes right now at our start of fourth year. One of them we just finished and then we only have one final compared to other years you have eight or nine finals and exams going at the same time. So it's way, way, way less and it's not that hard of a class. And then next semester, I think we only have one class. And then last semester, we don't have any. So we do transition to basically no class. And these are all self-paced online, too. So it's basically like we don't have class. You can just study when there's time for an exam. And then, as I mentioned a little bit, one of the things that Michigan is really great at is those external rotations. So you're gone for four weeks a semester, fourth year, and you're working in a federally qualified health center for the most part, and you're seeing anywhere from four to eight to 10 to 20 patients a day, a mix of operative exams, hygiene checks, like running like a real office. And that gives people, and I personally, now that I've gone through some of it, so much more confidence and makes you feel so much more ready to enter the real world and work as an associate or whatever you're going to do. Right. And so like, what are, what what do you think the, like your eight to five is going to look like in your D4 year? Do you get to like con- kind of control your own schedule or do you like a set amount of time for this 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 throughout your day so we have limits on when or how many patients we can see per week throughout the week there's nine to twelve and then two to five are the appointment times monday through friday and then thursday night we have a five to seven evening session so between all of those fourth years are allowed to see six patients and then third years are allowed to see four patients And on top of that, if there's a chair open and it's the day before and you have a patient that can come in, you can do a 24-hour rule and bring an extra patient in for a maximum of two extra. So the most you can see in a week is eight. And that's really not that many. But school moves so slow that you can have a 9 a.m. appointment, but you don't even get to numb your patient until 9.30 because you're waiting for faculty to come around and get start checks. And it's just moves very very slowly versus when you get to go on rotation and you're working a lot more autonomy you can finish the whole appointment in 30 minutes instead of wait 30 minutes to even get started so that's just I think a con of a lot of dental schools I know it's not a problem only at Michigan I know it's a problem at other schools too it's just can be very slow in the patient clinic but we get our own patient roster like I mentioned earlier in this episode and we schedule them So I call them. I find my availability, their availability. If there's space in my clinic for whichever discipline we're working in, whether it's perio, pros, restorative, I have to pick a specific discipline to see if that faculty has enough spots open that day. And then I schedule them. And then my patient care supervisor approves it. And then it's in my schedule. And I can do up to six per week all in advance. So I've been booked up the whole semester for the last like three weeks, even though we have until August. So I pretty much know everything that's coming. And then you use the other times of the week to try to get an extra patients, assist classmates, which is a requirement, mentor third years, which is requirements, or you might have rotations in the emergency clinic. You might have 
oral surgery rotation. You might have, I'm doing an orthodontics elective for Invisalign. You might be doing a research project, whatever your kind of stuff is, fills in some of those other gaps too. It's like all these externships, is it, do you guys have, it's like in an office setting, right? Mm-hmm. Do you guys have like assistants that will do your x-rays for you? Do you have them like, they'll, they will kind of set the patient up. They'll, you know, help you chair side. Like, yeah, pretty much all the sites have your assistance for you that you walk in and do the dentistry and then walk out like a normal clinic in real life. So it's very nice. It's really nice compared to, I guess, schooling where you're, you're not, doing not, everything not, yourself. You're also like the administration at the same time. Yeah. I guess waiting around, like you said, and just kind of being patient and then treating your patients. I guess. Yeah, there's so much work in dental school besides doing dentistry for your patients there's as you said all the admin work the scheduling talking to the billing office to get things moving along with insurance or getting patients connected to their different specialists that they see at the school it's so much stuff and sometimes you're assisting yourself if you don't have a classmate or someone to help you out so you're suctioning or the patient's suctioning and you're going back and forth running out of the clinic to grab things and everything so it can get hectic well definitely i mean i can't imagine like the patient's choking on water and you got to like reach around and grab the suction. That's exactly what it is though. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, that's tough. But um, so, I mean, we talked a little bit about like, you know, general dentists doing surgery without necessarily doing a whole residency program. Mm-hmm. Well, they do like GPRs probably, right? But um, like an oral surgery program. So do, have you like got into extractions and all that kind of stuff? Like is that, or does that come like after you graduate? So third year is when we do the bulk of our rotations. So you do two weeks of pediatric dentistry, two weeks of hospital dentistry, which is one week oral and maxillofacial surgery, which is like full reconstruction, crazy things like graft from thigh becomes your new tongue, like crazy, crazy things. And then the other week is with the GPR. So they're more dentistry, normal procedures, but in a hospital. So you do those and then you do a week of oral surgery at the dental school so different simple extractions and you do endodontics kind of sprinkled throughout a semester same with orthodontics sprinkled throughout a semester and you go through all the specialties that way and then once you've completed those there's options to take those elective courses like I'm in one for Invisalign because I want to do that as a general practitioner but you can take it for endo, for peds, for oral surgery, for hospital dentistry, and do extra time in that during your fourth year if you want to. And then on these external rotations, you might get to do root canals or surgical extractions using the handpiece to remove bone before you take out a tooth, things like that. So you might get more advanced procedures on these external rotations too than you get the chance to do in school because we don't really, we don't actually get any surgical extractions so that means like using the handpiece we just use forceps and if we can't get it out the residents have to come do it and then we don't place any implants at michigan ourselves we only can restore them and students graduate with one or two canals of endo so those are all kind of deficiencies i would say and that's because we have specialty programs that we have to refer to as the undergrad clinic we have to refer to the grad clinic almost all the time it's true because I, in your requirements to graduate, you guys don't have like extracted teeth or implants placed, do you? No, we have total credits and then we have test cases of certain procedures. So we have to do the two canals of endo 
you have to complete oral surgery rotation successfully with one test case, so doing an extraction correctly start to finish. You have to complete or pediatric rotation with passing the type on practicals and the big OSCE of like clinical knowledge. So there's tests for like each subject for a clinical skill on a patient as well as a knowledge skill for each section, but it's not a number per se. Once you get like the one thing done correctly of every single thing, then it's just find a way to get all your points somehow from whatever you want to do. Gotcha. So how do these like rotations exactly work? Like, are you kind of working alongside faculty and residents or is it kind of um, like, how, how, what is like the layout of it? Like, how does it kind of go down? So the only one where we're paired up with other mentor students is the oral surgery at the school. You're there with the fourth years and third years. So the fourth years kind of help you learn how to extract the teeth. And there is still the attending oral surgeon there. And then the residents do their own thing. So the attending actual doctor, oral surgeon, completed program is the one supervising us. And then at the hospital, it's all D3s. Pediatric is all D3s. And you're being supervised again by an attending, a pediatric dentist, an oral maxillofacial surgeon, different people that have already completed all that schooling and have the ability to kind of teach you things. Gotcha. Well, that sounds really interesting. So, I mean... So like you're 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 you just started D four. You said you're two months in. What do you see ahead of you this last year? And what do you think your what is your goal going into graduation? And you know I know you already have a job search. So where do you think you're gonna stand in terms of that? Yeah. So I'm hoping to figure out where I'm working by November December, just so I know what my scope of practice will be. If I'm at one of those practices where they're going to kind of have me start doing advanced endo, if I can get all my requirements done at school, which is, I guess, goal number one, and I have my graduation requirements done and I still have four or five months, I want to spend more time with the specialists that are doing the things that I want to do post-grad. So whether that's assisting more implant placement surgeries, going to grad pros, learning more about full mouth rehab, whether it's going to endo and trying to observe more root canals or maybe get to do more myself, trying to, again, as I mentioned before, supplement that cookie cutter education and add to it for what's relevant to what I'm going to do. But I need to figure out what I'm doing first, exactly what I'm going to be doing at those practices and go from there. But I'm on a good track, I would think, to be done with requirements by the end of fall. So then I would have all of my last semester to do whatever. And I believe we're also allowed to sign up for extra external rotations more than the four weeks. So I would love to do that, be out of the school, seeing like a lot of patients being busy. That sounds awesome too. So I would miss being in Ann Arbor and like the fun of the end of school. But if it's gross winter anyways, it might be nice to be somewhere else and be a little bit busy. So those are some of the things I'm kind of looking forward to, but I got to get my requirements done first. Man, that sounds awesome. How long is like the winter there? Like how long does it last? Or how long oh my gosh yeah it can start snowing in october sometimes like around halloween but then we literally had snow the first week of may this year i was in florida so i was lucky i didn't have it but it can kind of come out of nowhere but really like winter winter is like late november until early march like end of february is like snowing cold so i mean like so, I mean, so now you, you kind of figure out where to work at, where, 
what is that process like? Like how when you graduate, do you graduate like in May, June of next year? June, right? Yeah, May. So so May. So like when do you when would you start working in the office? Like is that like what what's that process like? Yeah, so boards are kind of a beast of their own throughout fourth year. And you have to have your dental degree from an accredited school, pass your INVDE, which is the Integrated National Dental Boards exam. So that's a multiple choice knowledge-based test. So I already passed that. And then you have to take your state licensing exam, which is through ADEX for the most part. It's ADEX and it's CDCA, REB are these two groups that merged and they're all under ADEX now and that covers 48 states. And that's going to be your clinical exam. So there's going to be one in the fall and one in the spring. And at the end of all that, you will have tested on endo, pros, perio, and restorative. And if you can pass all those, then you get your ADEX license as well. And there's also another multiple choice test you have to take for ADEX. So two multiple choice knowledge-based tests. When you have those three things, you're pretty much good to go for applying for a license in whatever state you want to be in. And then each state has their own requirements. So there's a licensing fee, a couple hundred dollars. You have to pay for fingerprinting. You have to pay for your DEA license, which is like $900 to send out prescriptions is what the license is for. And boards itself is $900 for the integrated boards and then $3,200 for all the ADEX stuff. So it's very expensive fourth year and very expensive to get licensed on top of tuition. So keep that in mind when you're looking at loans for fourth year. But when all that's come together, all the tests that you need for the specific state and fingerprinting and you're approved and great, you send it off in a manila envelope to the dental board of your state. And then eventually they send it back that you're licensed, yay. And then you can start working in whatever state you've applied to, to have a license in and got a job in. And looking for jobs, there's like a million different places. There's tons of job boards, forums, there's recruiters, there's all the DSOs, organized dentistry, and then there's word of mouth through different networking and different private offices. So I've found the places I'm interviewing at through like one of each of those things. So I think it's really great to be on all of the platforms, networking, trying to put yourself out there everywhere because you never know where you're going to get a connection. And for me, I don't have any family or anything in dentistry. So it's all through networking and putting myself out there. Right. And you guys, I mean, Haley has a great podcast, the Dental Download Podcast. I think you just dropped an episode about the job search. Yes. So, I mean, my audience, maybe not. They're all pre-dentals, probably just trying to get in first. But, you know, if you are listening to this and you are a dental student, I know a lot of dental students that follow my page. If you're in that D3, D4 year, be sure to check out her page. It's a lot of great insight firsthand from someone who's getting in there and, um, you know, approaching that part of her life. So, I mean, Haley, do you have any like last minute, like pre-dental tips or even dental student tips that you've kind of seen over your time in Michigan that you want to share with us? Yeah, I think my last tip for the pre-dents is really a mindset thing. Really try to develop good habits of First being self-care, but also being doing activities, doing pre-dental activities, extracurriculars, personal things that you enjoy and that you're passionate about. There's no one type of dental school applicant that gets in. All different kinds of people get in with all different experiences. Every dental school is trying to build a diverse class. So they don't want everyone to have the exact same experiences, the exact same background. That's actually the opposite of what they want. So if you're trying to be exactly like me or exactly like you 
you might not get in. You need to think about what you love and what you're passionate about and spend your time doing that and let that shine through your application. That's great. I mean, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll have you back on when you're, you're a practicing dentist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'd love that. Thank you so much. <laughs>